Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the long-awaited and much-anticipated return of the newsroom with Catherine Art, CEO of the VLGA. Catherine, welcome back. Thanks, Chris. It was nice to have a little bit of a break, but very pleased to be back and to see your face and to catch up on all the news that I have missed. Is there any truth to the rumour that just as you went on break, we went into lockdown, basically, and now as you come off break, we're coming out of lockdown? Spooky. That is a little spooky. I haven't actually thought about that, but you're right. (laughs) So read into that what you may. Good to have you back, though. I hope you had a nice break. Look, I did. It was just good to have some some time out. Of course, as um, all CEOs know out there, you're always um, not quite disconnected from what's going on. And and, um, I was able to just do that, I guess, from afar and um, at my leisure, but certainly um, having a little bit of time out was, was good and also healthy. Great to hear and a good example to set as well. Um, says me, I couldn't tell you the last time I had a break, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, as lockdown is lifted in Victoria, of course, we send our thoughts north of the border to our friends in New South Wales because we know what it's like, Catherine. Look, we do, and um, we've been there before and... Uh, for extended lockdown periods. Um, The numbers aren't great, though, in New South Wales, are they, with 172 cases today, and I think 80-odd of those um, were out in the community. So New South Wales does have a challenge on its hands, and, of course, um, hopefully through the National Cabinet, uh, premiers of all states are sharing learnings and um, supporting each other as colleagues. Uh, We had some pretty uh, terrific events in your absence, although you were present for one of them, the global panel, but I'm thinking back to the last in-person event we had before this lockdown, and that was the Leading the Agenda Day at Picture Partners. That went off very well. Tell me about it. I I wasn't there, as you said, Chris. So the topic was audit and risk committees, and we had a a rather stellar panel lined up for that. So what what came out of that? It was a really good discussion um, about... Uh, audit and risk committees, particularly with the lens of new council terms, perhaps new council or delegates, as well as councils needing to bring on, in some cases, independent members. And we had uh, we had a CEO in Mark Dupay from Bulbore. We had an independent member in Katie Baldwin, who works at CSIRO, but uh, is an independent member, I think, at Monash from memory. And we had Richard Wilson from Picture Partners. And uh, does he know his stuff? He knows his uh, topic back to front. And I think the feedback was that people got a lot out of the session. There were a lot of insights. There were some terrific questions. I just think it's a topic perhaps that doesn't get explored very much, Catherine, but it is it, it is so important as part of that assurance role that councils need uh, in managing risk. Mm, absolutely. Risk uh, management is part, well, it's, it's a critical part of all governance functions and for councils who are delivering services and managing funds on behalf of their community, and often they are funds that they've received not only through the collection of rates but also through uh, funding from state and federal government and other parties, it's absolutely uh, imperative that there is that assurance process in place. Um, You know, as for the topic audit and risk, uh, I, I can understand that for some people that's probably not a terribly exciting 
conversation point and that may be why it doesn't come up a lot at dinner parties and and the like but it really is an important conversation to have when we're talking about governance and uh, we would like to thank uh, Pitcher Partners again for their support and um, we might include uh, at least a link to some of the footage um, from from that conversation when we uh, released Newsroom today. I think you're trying to say it's a bit of a dry topic, but uh, it was quite it, it was quite lively on the day, uh, I have to say. And we had a, a good in-person, socially distanced audience at the Pitcher Partners uh, building in Docklands, which was, oh. was great to have. Yeah. Um, the other big event, Catherine, was our global panel a couple of Thursday nights ago now on child-friendly cities with... Um, a really uh, strong uh, UK presence in the audience as well as Australian presence. Um, you were there, of course, uh, and again, it, it was it was a terrific event. Look, it was. We had um, Liana Buchanan, who is the Victorian Commissioner for Children and Young People, uh, Vivian Romano from, uh, I think it was Central Queensland University, although based in Melbourne, I believe, and also the CEO of, was it Aberdeen Shire Council? It was um, Aberdeen City in Scotland, uh, and, Angela Scott. Yes, mm. and, and Angela spent a great deal of time talking about the process that they had followed in becoming uh, accredited against um, child-friendly standards, I think, which is a United Nations framework mm. and it was really interesting to hear the application of a human rights lens across uh, child-friendly policies and initiatives and, and just how seriously um, their council had taken their obligations in regard to that and there were some lessons certainly for all of us I think in the room and for Australian councils we have in Victoria and in fact the VLGA um, provides um, or auspices the Child Friendly um, Cities Network Group, um, which a number of Victorian councils are part of. What really struck me about the conversation, and, and look, Liana, the commissioner, was very grateful that there was a focus on the impact of COVID on children and young people. Uh, that was the, the focus of that um, actual discussion, of course. And what, what struck me was the importance of place-based planning, um, particularly when we find ourselves in this COVID world that we live in now and people are working more and playing more in their own communities because they've been forced to, but also what are the impacts on children and vulnerable people and how do we support through the work of council um, that those members of the community. So that was a terrific Lineup. I believe that the um, video of that event, of course, is available to those who registered. Um, but if others would like to purchase that, they can do that through the VLGA's website also. Indeed, you can. And we're already looking towards our next global panel, which is coming up on the 19th of August on the topic of building community wealth. This panel's coming together very nicely. We've got another UK CEO, we've got the CEO of the City of Sydney, uh, and uh, we've got a representative of SGS Economics. Do, do you know much about this topic, Catherine, <laughs> building community wealth? I'm, I've certainly found out a lot about it um, in recent weeks, more than I understood before. It's something that um, UK councils are looking at quite seriously, also a number of European councils like Barcelona, for example. Um, 
And really it's not dissimilar to what I was just talking about in terms of place-based planning. It's really the role of councils looking local, focusing on the local, place-based planning policies um, and development to enable the community to thrive commercially, sorry, commercially, economically and socially. Um, I guess the academic lens will talk more about um, community wealth um, building being a response to globalisation, um, uh, perhaps uh, an alternative or a nice complement to centralised um, policy frameworks. But what it says to me, and I think we'll hear this through um, the CEO, Craig Hutton from North Ayrshire Council, and also Monica Barone, who's the CEO of Sydney, really the role and the important role that councils play in planning for and supporting their local communities. So really interested in this panel. We've got um, registrations are filling up fast. Again, there'll be an opportunity for participants um, in the audience to ask questions. And um, again, very pleased to be hosting this in partnership with uh, LGIU, Local Government um, Information Unit, which is a, a global think tank based in the UK. Yes, looking forward to it. 19th of August. Uh, North, not only is uh, North Ayrshire... Uh, um, a council that can, can talk about it. They're in fact Scotland's first community wealth building council officially. So we've got the leaders in the in the movement coming together for the panel, which will be terrific. All the details on the VLGA website events page if you'd like to find out more. The other big bit of news this week is uh, from north of the border, Catherine, where New South Wales council elections have been postponed again. Uh, they're now going to be in December, on the 4th of December, I think, from memory, which is effectively 15 months on from when they were originally scheduled in September of last year. Another big decision I, um, I think that, you know, has been taken in New South Wales. I have seen a lot of, um, I guess, arguments calling for the postponement, uh, suggesting that if, if the elections were to take place, it would be, um, you know, undemocratic uh, because it would be difficult for people to vote in person, of course, during a, you know, a restricted uh, COVID environment. Um, look, we faced the same issue, didn't we, in Victoria yeah. last year? And there were lots of um, arguments for and against. We heard arguments um, for, the for a deferral suggesting that um, if, if the elections did proceed, that it would be um, undemocratic, that um, women would be disadvantaged, it would be difficult for people to campaign. Uh, we, of course, in Victoria, introduced a postal voting system, which didn't require people to go out and vote in person. Um, I do note, though, in New South Wales, they, they're going to offer a, an online option as well. Is that my understanding? Yes. So uh, not clear on exactly how this is going to work, but it's it's still a, there's an in-person option, there's a pre-poll postal option, and there's going to be an iVote option, which is an online option. So I'm not sure whether everyone qualifies for that or whether you need to apply for it. Uh, I guess some more detail will, will come out in due course. But uh, the in-person option is still there, 
which I think is what gives rise to people's concerns about conducting that safely in a COVID environment, whereas we removed that from the equation in Victoria last year. So it sounds like a hybrid model will be applied in New South Wales. You know, of course, the issues that we discussed here in Victoria, I think, are also relevant for New South Wales. We now have, um, you know, what is a legislated term of council extending beyond that term of up to 15 months, which means that um, I would suggest that there'd be councillors who are at the end of their term who are probably not wanting to restand again, who are pretty are feeling pretty fatigued, um, mm. exhausted. We have people in the community who, of course, are itching to have their opportunity to run and stand for election in, um, you know, their local municipality. And now, you know, that, that, that option's been removed or, or at least delayed for them. Um, which in itself, one could argue, may be seen as undemocratic. Um, so they look, it's, it's, it's a very complex situation indeed. And, um, you know, I guess all I can say is that, um, you know, our thoughts are with New South Wales as, as they go on this journey. Yes, a lot of uncertainty there. And I do note, it's, it is worth noting that uh, local government New South Wales, the peak body in, uh, in that state, uh, have come out this week and said the government must commit to those elections being held before year's end. So in other words, um, no more deferrals. There needs to be some certainty around that. They don't really talk about that issue of the current terms being extended and fatigue, et cetera, but I think that's that's a very relevant issue. Uh, issue. Uh, so I guess it uh, I guess it remains to be seen. But what I would note, Catherine, is that last year, if I understand it correctly, the New South Wales Parliament brought in legislation to allow for a 12-month extension, but then a further extension to the 31st of December, if necessary. So that's what's been applied now. Um, I would think it's going to require more legislative change if they want to defer it again into 2022, which is probably a bridge too far. Yeah, sounds like it, Chris. So let's stay tuned, I think. And Catherine, I noticed that the research project that the VLGA is an integral part of uh, on um, the, the, this election cycle in Victoria and barriers to female participation in particular, getting some more press this week. It did. The Fairfax media covered that off um, over the weekend and we were really pleased to hear uh, that research project, which of course is uh, funded through an Australian Research Council linkage grant. We're doing that in partnership with Leah Rappiner from Melbourne University and Andrea Carson from La Trobe University. Um, really focus, focus on, in this particular article, focused on some of the challenges for women, particularly with children, um, you know, serving as counsellors in their community. And the, um, the journalist interviewed a couple of um, those counsellors in Victoria who were currently struggling with not only being in their first term of council, but also being mothers um, and, and the significant workload that comes with being both a mother and primary caregiver and also being a counsellor for what is still seen as a volunteer role. Um, but yet you and I both know uh, that there is a, a significant amount of work that comes with being a counsellor. So the article talks about um, not so much about, well, absolutely not about, um, you know, women with children 
um, shouldn't be running. It talks about what can we do um, systemically to reduce those barriers for, for women in particular, because this is what this research project is focusing on, so that we can achieve parity around those decision-making tables, those leadership roles. Um, Deborah Wu from the VLGA was also mentioned in the article. She's our program, uh, she's our inclusion and diversity program lead and has done a lot of work in our uh, local women leading change program. Um, and we can probably include a link to the article uh, okay. today too. I see Deborah got promoted to Doctor, Doctor Wu, which has prompted all the Steely Dan references in recent days as well. I, we, I had to dive deep into the Steely Dan catalogue to understand those references, Catherine. I don't know about you. Uh, um, yeah, I haven't had time to catch up on that. I thought it was a Spotify playlist you might have been referencing, but I've clearly missed the plot. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, now, while you were away, we had to amuse ourselves somehow because of the gap that was caused by lack of newsroom. So we, we pulled out, I think, some pretty good special edition interviews, which I hope you've had time to catch up with. We've had some good ones. I saw we had uh, the acting um, uh, Local Jobs First Commissioner, Greg Wilson, on the program. Again, talking about something that I think is, is related in part to this building community wealth, but the definition of community in this case is broader, but it's about, um, you know, this commission really focuses on um, procurement uh, processes and ensuring that we um, use locally sourced um, service providers and goods. Uh, and when I, def and locally in this um, sense is, is not only Victorian based, but, but, but nationally based. And um, we've got a few more yet to be released, I, I, I believe. We do. Premiering on Thursday is a chat I've had with Melissa Harris, who's the CEO of Land Use Victoria. They're responsible for a number of functions that uh, perhaps don't bubble to the surface very often, but they're integral and very important in the way the state functions, and a lot of them intersect with local government. And coming up uh, next week, we have the Essential Services Commissioner, Kate Simons, as a guest on the program. So we've had some um, really high-level guests and we have more coming up. So keep an eye out on the playlist. I think the other thing uh, to point out here, Catherine, is this episode today of VLGA Connect is episode 195. You know what that means? Well, that means that if I do my maths correctly... Episode 200 should coincide perhaps with a newsroom. And I think, um, I think we should plan to do something a little special, though, for that one. So about uh, two weeks from now, uh, we should be on episode 200. So let's uh, put our thinking cap on how we can celebrate that master. Indeed. And look, quickly, before we wrap up, Chris, um, stay tuned. Uh, the VLGA is about to release its uh, training uh, prospectus, its counsellor or Council Professional Development Program um, uh, that will be coming out any day and offers uh, councils and councillors a huge range of different options, um, all focusing, of course, on improving and supporting um, councillor performance from a governance perspective. So, Catherine, it's been great to catch up, have you back for a pretty much a bumper edition of Newsroom uh, this week, and I look forward to talking to you again uh, next week. Looking forward to it, Chris. Take care and have a great week, and 
uh, enjoy uh, lockdown being lifted tomorrow. We will indeed. That's Catherine Arndt, the CEO of the VLGA, with us for episode 195 of VLGA Connect in the newsroom. We'll see you again very soon. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm.